Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to start here by a text in 1 Samuel 30, and there's a story behind this of uh, this particular text. I've preached on this a couple of times, and uh, this particular time that I'm thinking of was at a classes meeting. And at this classes meeting, in the particular congregation that we were in, I can't remember what year it was, but we had a pre-classes conference. And in the pre-classes conference, we talked about uh, you know, the struggles and difficulties of ministry and how to handle those particular struggles, what to do and how to address it. And so they broke us up into little groups. And within the little groups, we started talking about dealing with these struggles and how we could deal with it. Now, I don't like that stuff anyway. So I was already opposed to it. And so I basically, I sat and just kind of listened. And I listened to the group that I was assigned to be in and the guys bannering back and forth. And after that was all finished, I don't remember the time frame, but they're all finished. They then had uh, the group stand up and start to say, how do we resolve and deal with these problems in the ministry? And they listed about, I think, 15 or 16 different things. And every time somebody said something, it's like my heart sank even further. Because it was all the psychobabble things of the world. And we got to the end, the question that I asked is, I said, where is Jesus on the list? We're ministers of the gospel, and we're telling people how to deal with the problems, and Christ isn't even listed on that board. Then I got to preach. And this is the text that I preach. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite had been taken captive. Now notice this text here. Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Do you find any behavioral modifications in there? Do you find any psycho babble there? Do you find that David turned to alcohol or to some kind of pills or some kind of remedy to deal with the stress that he was undergoing? And he certainly had stress. He certainly had despair. He certainly was struggling 
when the men that were with him, mighty men, fighting men, decided that the best thing of this, this condition, this predicament, was to stone David. They were angry with David. David had fighting men, and he had taken all of his men to Ziklag, or to with the Amalekites, and as they came back, none were left at Ziklag with the families. And so, when David was sent back from the battle, and he came from the Amalekites, as he was fighting there, fleeing from Saul, and as he came back, you can just about see the scene, right? Here they are marching their way towards Ziklag and then smelling smoke. And what was going on? They didn't know. They had no idea. They didn't know what happened to their wives and their sons and their daughters. They had no idea whether they were alive or dead. But when they got there, they found that they had all been taken captive. David, in a response, as all of his men were weeping and grieving so much that they had no more power and strength to weep again, said, you know what? Let's kill this guy. Because, you know, it's your fault, David. Why did you not leave men here to protect our families while we were gone to the battle? David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is always our problem as Christians. We're always being deflected from the things of Christ. Christ is always eclipsed by the things of the world. The world is constantly saying, do this, try this, you need this, forget about that. That'll never work. And yet you find in Scripture that it's always coming back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is all my problem all the time. In all of my situations, in all of my despair, discouragement, depression, it is always a Christ issue. That I'm not looking unto Jesus. That I'm struggling, that I'm looking to other things, looking at the consequences, looking at my problems, looking at the difficulties, and not looking at the King of the universe. The writer of the Hebrews And one small verse says we become weary and discouraged in our souls when we do not look unto Jesus. And this is what David did. David turned his thoughts to the promises of God. That's what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. We have, again, an example of Jonathan strengthening David. And he does so by bringing David back to the promises of God. When David says, surely I am going to die at the hands of Saul, your father. And Jonathan says, you are not going to die by the hands of my father, Saul. You are the next king of Israel. Samuel has anointed you. God has promised to raise you up. A man after God's own heart. You are the next king of Israel. God will preserve the life of the king. And David was encouraged in his soul. Don't we need that? We need to be encouraged. Because everywhere, to the right and to the left, is discouragement in this world. Encouragement is infusing courage into the soul. And you infuse courage into the soul with the word of our God. If God be for you, who can stand against you? Nothing absolutely nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
All things are working together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things, not some things, not most things. God has a purpose in everything. And even the evil that He sends upon us in this veil of tears. He turns to our good. He's able to do it. He's Almighty God. He's willing also because He is a faithful Father. So God is honing us, crafting us, shaping us, molding us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through the trials, tribulations, difficulties, sorrows, persecutions, all of the difficulties of this life, God is using all of those things. Like a chisel. The things of the world God uses to chisel His people. He is molding and shaping us the covenant promise of Romans 8 into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ through all the difficulties of life. That's encouraging to the soul. That is encouraging to know that my good shepherd is with me all the time. He never leaves. The lights might go out, but he doesn't leave me in the darkness. It is to teach me dependence upon him. It is to teach me humility. It is to teach me that man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to learn that lesson. Because so often and so easily, we turn and think, well, you know, I'm strengthened by the things of this earth. No, you're strengthened and you live by the Lord your God. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. So that is encouragement. Those are the words, as we saw this morning, those are the apples of silver and settings of gold. A word that is spoken in due season. How sweet it is. It's a comfort to the soul. Discouragement is removing courage from the soul. What is the world does that? We are, Philippians 4, to think on the things that are right and true and good and noble and praiseworthy, things that are good report. Think on these things. They are the encouraging things of God's Word. That's how you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And we need that lesson continually. Because we go through the difficulties of life. And it's not when you're going through the difficulties that you need to be flipping through the pages of Scripture. It is all the days of your life. So when the difficulties come, you can draw upon the Word of God and encourage your soul with the Word of truth. That's what we need, beloved. Now, David, you often find, you know, that, that was a great text, which you find in 1 Samuel 30. David strengthening himself in the Lord his God. It wasn't the other men. They were discouraging him. He was encouraging his soul with God's word. It is God's word that is our encouragement. It is God's word that gives us courage to continue, to propel through the storms of life. The discouragement comes where people are always leading us away from the word of truth. You know, what comes around goes around. You only live once. You know, that's the way that things are. It's just the way that it is. Just out of the blue. That's just what happens in this world. Well, that's a big fat comfort. That's a zero. Why do we listen to that? That's false. That's not truth. You don't only go around once so grab for all the gusto you can get. There, there is a life after this life. And we're all heading to that life. 
And is eternal life in the presence of our God or is eternal damnation under the wrath of our God? It's the only destinations. It is not just this life. We're not naturalists. And so you encourage and comfort yourself with the Word. David, in the Psalms often, which is, you, you just see the reality. I, I just love the reality of the Psalms. I had mentioned this morning, I don't remember when I mentioned it, but I mentioned that I was asked to write a little bit about Spurgeon. And the thing that I wrote is the reality, the realism. The guy was real. I love that, that he was real. And he wasn't afraid to express the reality of the things going on in his soul. And if you've read any of Spurgeon's works, you find that it just oozes out. He comes to it and he says it. That's me. I'm the man who is depressed continually. And in his estimation, it was more than any man that he knew that he was depressed. David is like that. David, he's like, um, you know, playing a harp. His harp was in tune and his life was off and out of tune. He begins at some points with sighing and he ends with singing. And sometimes he begins with singing and he ends with sighing. Our hearts are recalibrated. Uh, Our hearts are in tuned by the word of truth. And so we find David here in Psalm 13 struggling, probably the prolonged illness that because of the duration of this illness, it's brought depression to the soul. You understand that, don't you? Have you not gone through times of sickness or suffering? And it just seems to go on and on and on. When am I going to be able to taste again? Will I ever be able to smell again? Will whatever has been done to my brain through COVID, will it ever be straightened out again? Will I, never, will I ever not feel so weird? What's going on with this? I mean, if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. So we pray, just like David, we come to the Lord. How long, Lord? David was discouraged with that. He found himself with the struggle with, I I think, the enemy that he speaks about, and he speaks metaphorically as well, is death. I think because of a long, prolonged sickness, illness, this suffering that he was going through, I think he's closing in on death and he feels it. And because he says in Psalm 12 that all of his friends and companions have abandoned him through this time of suffering and illness and depression and sorrow in his life, he senses and he feels as if God has abandoned him. Now we know the reality of the teaching of God's word that he will never leave his people. And even through the darkness of life, God never leaves His people. He will never abandon His people. And beloved, we have the gospel account for that. We have the assurance of the gospel that God will never abandon us. Christ was abandoned on the cross by His Father so that we would never be abandoned. It is sealed in the blood of the Lamb. Our never being abandoned is sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You would have to undo the work of Jesus Christ for us to be abandoned. And that could never happen. God will never abandon His people. So when you go, not if, but when, 
When you go through the darkness of the night of suffering and illness and persecution and tribulation and trials and troubles and the difficulties in the soul that stir up like like just a ravenous sea and you're uncomfortable even in your own skin, remember that God is with you. And remember that He has a purpose in every trial that we go through. No matter if I understand it or not, these are part of the secret things of the Lord our God. But yet the Lord uses these things. Tribulation, it produces endurance in the life of the believer. It produces a sweet fruit of, of, Paul speaks about that, of repentance in the life. As we are trained by the trials and difficulties of life. We all need to be repenting. Martin Luther said that is the Christian life. It's one of continual, habitual repentance. That we're always continually repenting and turning. So, have you, have you gone through the difficulties of life? Have you been in your room? Have you been alone? Have you been seeking the Lord? Have you been in a position where it's like your prayers have not been answered? Have you been in a position where you feel like you're alone and you feel as if God has abandoned you? Maybe a different suffering from time to the next time to the next time, one after another, com- compounds on you. And it's like a heavy weight that falls upon you. And you begin to cry out. And just like David, how long, Lord? As I mentioned this morning, maybe it's in a work situation. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's in your family, your marriage, with your children. I mean, there's multiple things that we can go through difficult times in depression in our life. And yet the remedy is always the same. It is always Jesus. You know what my problem with uh, everything in life is not everything in life is me is my heart my heart is the problem where am I looking when I look at the storm what happened well I'm fearful I'm afraid we're perishing Lord but when I look to Jesus I know who is controlling the storm And then I am comforted. You know the song. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the winds and the waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm. But sometimes he holds us close. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have God to make all the storms just go away? Not me. I mean, think about it. To be in the midst, in the eye of the storm, but upheld in the hands of Jesus. I mean, you got a bird's eye view of this storm, right? And, and you're protected. You're kept. You're secure in the arms of Jesus. We, we've got to remind ourselves of these things. So, David in verse 4, he says, Lest my enemies say, and I think this is what he's speaking metaphorically, an analogy. He's saying like death is going to conquer him. Lest that happen. And he sleeps the sleep of death. This is what he's crying out to the Lord. To consider him. And to hear his prayer. Lest death then conquers him. And he no longer praises the Lord. And as David has said before. uh, No one praises you from the grave. Lest those who trouble me rejoice. When I am moved. Moved out of his spot. Taken away. So David wants the deliverance. He wants God to rescue him from this impending sickness that's bringing him down, where his eyes are becoming dim, and he's needing the enlightenment of his eyes. 
Not only physically, but also spiritually. We need, it's not one or the other, it's a both and. We need our eyes of our heart enlightened to see the wonders and the promises of God's Word, to comfort and encourage our heart, but then the reviving of the physical body as well. To be able not to be dimmed, the lights going out, and the soul departing from the body. This is what he's crying for. He's crying to be kept alive by the Lord. That he might live. That he might continue to live. Verse 5, he says this, But I have trusted in your mercy. Beloved, do you trust in God's mercy? When you're trusting in God's mercy, the the Hebrew term uh, kesed means... God's covenant faithfulness, His covenant love. And we receive the covenant love and embrace of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this means the mercy is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, if you're thinking biblically, you know what you deserve. We all deserve damnation. We deserve to be cast out of the presence of God forever. We deserve the wrath of God to come upon us. We deserve for a thousand bricks to fall upon us and then depart from this life and then into everlasting damnation. We deserve it. We've earned it. The wages of sin is death. But mercy, the mercy of God, withholds what is due to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. I mean, grace and mercy are going hand in hand. The favor of God. Because we receive the favor of God's salvation in His Son, then we necessarily receive the mercy of God. We don't get what we truly deserve. The end of the service, we have a benediction. The Latin term, benedictus. It means a good word. Bene is good. Dictus is word. It's the good word of God. It's God pronouncing a blessing upon His people. It's not a prayer. It's God blessing His people with His Word. We receive that benediction because Christ on the cross received the curse word. He received the malediction. He received the punishment for our sins. We find in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 the covenant promise of cursing and blessing. If you keep all the commandments of God, you will be blessed in all that you do. If you break the commandments of God, you will be cursed in all that you do. Beloved, we have broken all the commandments. Christ has kept all the commandments. But in our place He stood and was condemned in our place to then impute all of His righteousness as a covenant keeper to us. And this is how we are now treated, viewed, looked upon, by God as covenant keepers. God sees us in Christ. We are covered and clothed in Christ. He sees us through Christ. What a lens. What a way to look at us. Me, the one who is defiled and sinful and falls short every day, covered and clothed in Christ. What a mercy. What a grace that God has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the mercy of God. And we know in Lamentations 3, those mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. We find Paul, uh, when he speaks to the churches, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you. God's sanctifying mercy, sanctifying grace, sanctifying peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Paul is bringing a benediction upon the people of God. And this is what David says, I've trusted in the mercy of God. I've trusted that He has removed the punishment due to me because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And therefore, what does your heart do? When you think about the mercy of God, I have Paul Tripp's, the new morning mercies. What does that do for you? What then falls out of your heart as a result of God's mercy? What is it that flows forth from your soul when you reflect upon the truth that God has not given you what your sins deserve? (laughs) Rejoice. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The rejoicing is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means like a, a rolling minstrel. What does that mean? It's like David, everywhere that he went, he began singing the song of praise of salvation to God. The song was in his heart, and he sang it. It was like he walked, he went from town to town to town, and he was singing of the salvation of our God. Salvation. This is not the salvation just simply from his sins. It's a deliverance is what it means. That David was delivered by God. Delivered from his sickness. Delivered from impending death. Delivered from his eyes then closing and being darkened. Uh, They needed to be enlightened and God enlightened his eyes. And David sang of that. So this is a response for all of us. And I think, you know, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he does the same thing in the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, you, the Heidelberg Catechism is designed after the book of Romans. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Romans 1 through 3, the guilt of man. 4 through 11, the grace of God. 12 through 16, gratitude. So what flows out of that redeeming grace of God is a gratitude of the heart. It's a rejoicing. It's a giving thanks to the Lord for the wondrous salvation. But, you know, Paul is is dealing with that as well. I I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's, It's a logical worship is what it means. So it's only, it only makes sense that since by the mercy of God we have been redeemed, we give ourselves totally over to Him. I mean, that's the ethic. Uh, that is what we strive for. We don't accomplish it in this life, but that's the road that we're on. That's the highway of holiness of the people of God. So if you would reflect upon the mercy of God, and you would think, as the Catechism speaks about that, we deserve eternal condemnation, And you would think that we didn't get what we truly deserve because Christ suffered it in our place. This would cause you to be a rejoicing person. And we don't do this enough. We don't reflect. When's the last time that you reflected upon what you truly deserve? You sat down and meditated that you have broken all the commandments of God? That I'm worthy and deserving to be cast out of God's holy presence, that comfortable presence, that favor of God. I'm worthy and deserving to be cast out forever. Have you thought about that? Have you rolled that around in your mind? That's what it means to meditate. It's to roll it around again and again. It's to mutter it to yourself. It's to speak to yourself. Now, you're speaking to yourself all the time. What are you saying? You know, use something that's beneficial, that brings you courage and joy, and to think about even through the struggles that you go through. You, you know, it's, it's comforting to know this, that on your best day, that you are no more justified than you are on your worst day. 
When you think all things are well and I've been obedient today and surely I've been pleasing to the Lord. No. You're no more justified in that position, in that condition, in those works of mercy, the works that you've done of good works that bring glory to God, than on your worst day where you've fallen down, it seems like every hour, right square on your face. Because you're justified once for all time in Jesus Christ. You're not loved anymore because you've done dot, dot, dot. God loves you. And He loves you with an everlasting love, an eternal love, an infinite love in His Son, Jesus Christ. On my best days and on my worst days. And you know, most of my days are bad days. I don't know about you, but most are bad days. Why? Because, you know, I'm not perfectly obedient. And because of that, there is always struggle and strife in the soul. I haven't gone one day without struggle and strife. And neither have you. There is the struggle and strife that goes on continually. That's the spiritual warfare. But we need to reflect upon the salvation and the mercy of God. It makes us sing. That's why we like to sing the hymns. We like to sing of our salvation. We like to sing the old, old story. We like to sing, I know in whom I have believed that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We like to sing, you know, Jesus, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tenderest care. We like to sing, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. We love to rejoice in that. And that, beloved, is a consequence of reflecting on the mercy and the deliverance that God gives to his people. And David says, I will sing to the Lord. Sing. Sing his praise. His songs are meant. The mouth was given. The tool of the tongue and the voice was given to sing praise to our God. Now we live a fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed world. And because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, man is introverted. He turns in on himself and wants to praise and glorify himself. It's, 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 it's strange. I mean, sin makes us stupid. And you know what I'm, I'm saying? Watch the football game a little bit this afternoon. Guy scored a touchdown. It was a 62-yard pass that he ran like halfway down the field and slowed down, and the defenders slowed down with him, and he picked up speed and outran them all, and the guy threw it and he caught it in the end zone. Tied the game. He was so excited. He's a veteran. But in his celebration, he took his helmet off and he threw it on the ground and he acted like an idiot, like a stupid, crazy man. 15-yard penalty. Ah, no big deal. He's over high five, slapping one another, big smile on his face. Field goal kicker gets out there to win the game and misses the field goal. That's the stupidity of this world. The praise that man wants to bring to himself. Look at me. I'm the best there ever was. Don't you just see it? You can just see it as he's sitting there on the bench with this big grin and smile. And then after he misses the extra point, it was like, wow, that's not my fault. Yeah, it is your fault, you idiot. Because it moved his field goal back even more yardage. And so he shanked it, couldn't make it. Comes to the left. And he just got this smile like, not my fault. It is your fault. This man looking in on himself. 
We are called to glorify. Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell, they, they were not glorifying themselves. They were not high-fying themselves. Look what I did. Aren't I the greatest? No, they were singing praise to God. They desired to praise God. They had no desire before the fall to exalt and honor and praise themselves. And then in the fall, that's our desire. To be on top, to be noticed, to be recognized. How come my name's not in the paper? We get all excited. You didn't mention that one. Why didn't they get mentioned? Oh man, because it isn't about you, is it? We think it is, but it's not. We need to learn that lesson. Our lives are about bringing glory to God. And this is what David says. David doesn't say, I'll sing to myself. He says, I will sing to the Lord. We come and we come to sing to God. I don't come to sing to you. I don't care what anybody thinks about how I sing. I'm not singing to you. I'm not singing for you. Singing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It doesn't say make a joyful noise unto the congregation so they can applaud you. It's making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And how could you not but make a joyful noise knowing that you deserve damnation and God has not given you what you deserve. When you look to the cross and you see Jesus, Matthew 26, hanging upon the cross, suffering what you and I deserve and feeling and experiencing in his own soul the inexpressible anguish, pains and terrors of the wrath of God, How can you not be moved in your soul and to sing praise to our God? He has put a new song in our mouth. Praise to our God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's the song that we sing because God has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt with me in an abundant way. He has given me all the treasures of earth and heaven in Jesus Christ. You realize that, that everything on earth belongs to the people of God. The meek inherit the earth. Christ inherits all things we inherit in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge God has given to us in Christ Jesus. All the blessings in the heavenly places are ours in Christ Jesus. We are co-heirs. He shares with us the inheritance. How can we not sing? God has dealt bountifully to all of us, beloved. And so we start as David starts. He starts with sighing. He starts with a cry of how long, O Lord. And he ends as he recalibrates and he reflects upon the mercy and the love of God. He reflects upon the salvation of God. And he ends this psalm with singing unto the Lord. He comes to God in prayer. He reflects upon God being bountiful to him. And all that he can do is then but rejoice in his God. That's an admonishment. That's an encouragement. That is edifying to the soul. Let us be a people that is a singing people. A church that is singing to the glory of God. Singing his praise. Singing his word. Reflecting upon his word. Singing antithetically, back and forth to the glory of God, even as the angels do, the seraphim in heaven, singing to the glory of God. This is why we have been recreated in Christ Jesus, to give Him praise, because He has certainly dealt bountifully 
with us. Amen. Shall we pray?